Today's Bible text is from Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 15, uh, where the shepherds have just witnessed this uh, amazing angelic light show, where the angels came and announced to them the startling news of the birth of the Messiah child in Bethlehem, and that they were to go and be witnesses to that great event. So beginning with verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, may you uh, kind of inspire us today by the example of the shepherds and their zeal, their joy, their exuberance in sharing what they had learned with others about who you are and this wonderful news of your coming. Give us that same excitement today, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I am finally officially in the, Christ- in the Christmas spirit uh, today. I've got my Christmas tie on. Yesterday, I knocked down some serious Christmas shopping, got some of that out of the way, and I've been dreaming of snow. So that, for me, means I am in the Christmas spirit. The only thing that holds me back is that I'm just reluctant to turn on the TV. Every time I turn it on, there's another Christmas special. There must be a thousand different Christmas movies and TV specials this month. Everybody has got a Christmas special, even the family guy. I mean, really, the family guy? And though some of them might be funny or entertaining, as far as I can determine, there is only one show that actually says anything at all about the birth of Jesus, one and only one, and I bet you know which one that is. It's a Charlie Brown Christmas. Good old Charlie Brown. He's trying to find out the true meaning of Christmas, and it's his blanket-hugging friend Linus who simply recites the gospel story of Jesus' birth during the school Christmas pageant. Imagine that. So simple, so profound, and yet so rare. So rare. Jesus is absent from virtually all of the other so-called Christmas shows, erased deleted his name his birth they're not even mentioned in fact you're lucky to see a manger scene somewhere tucked in the background it's all about the snow and the presence the north pole santa's workshop peace on earth all packaged around some comic family dysfunction now i understand maybe why the secular world wants to erase jesus from view and kind of replace christmas with this generic winter holiday i mean businesses they just want to sell stuff That's all they're interested, as much stuff as they possibly can. So they may want to reach as broad a market as possible. And if that means sending Jesus to the showers, well, so be it. I understand that. I don't agree with it, but at least I understand it. And I think we should be prepared to see more of that, expect more of that in our culture as it becomes increasingly secular. But what I don't understand is the fact that much of the opposition to the clear mention of Jesus and the celebration of his birth is now coming from sources that were at one time Christian, even from within the established church itself. For example, you may have seen the story about the YMCA in the West Village in the city that now banned Santa Claus 
from their winter holiday program. I mean, forget about Jesus. Now Santa is too Christian. It's too Christian for their celebration, too religious for public view. So Santa was replaced by a talking snowman with a penguin sidekick. And this is from the YMCA, the Young Men's Christian Association. The New York Post reports, YMCA officials are in the midst of rebranding the Young Men's Christian Association to simply the Y. It wasn't replacing, it was transitioning, said John Rappaport, executive director of that particular YMCA. We realized that change is sometimes good and that Frosty is a great winter character who would appeal to a broader number of kids. A great winter character. That's what it's been reduced to. How sad from an organization that was founded in 1844 as a place where people could play sports and hear about Jesus. Now Jesus and by proxy Santa Claus aren't even allowed on the premises. I I did, however, like the response from one of the spokesmen of the Catholic League who said, Christmas is not about Jack Frost. It's not about snowmen. We're We're not talking about some secular organization that has no religious roots. If they can't celebrate Christmas, then they should check out. What a bunch of cowards. And I say amen to that. But there are a lot of examples of that kind of stuff happening this year. And it makes me realize, you know what, the shepherds had it easy. The shepherds had it easy. They had a much easier environment in which to proclaim the birth of the Messiah than we do today. They were in a country that was predominantly of one faith, Judaism. Yes, they were an occupied people. The Roman army had conquered their land, but the Romans gave the Israelites great freedom to conduct their own religion as they saw fit. In fact, they gave them special exemptions from Roman law so that they could practice their faith as they desired. And they all lived by the same book, what we call the Old Testament. That was their Bible, the the law, the prophets, and the writings. No one questioned the validity or the truth of Scripture. They had a common worldview. Sure, they argued over interpretation. There were different camps, different schools of thought, most notably the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes. But if the Scripture said it, they were all bound to believe it. And people were eager to listen. Everyone knew the prophecies about the Messiah, God's deliverer. Their expectation of the Messiah was part of the fabric of their daily life. One first century historian wrote that the whole region was on tiptoe waiting for the announcement of God's Messiah. So if someone told them that the Messiah had come, they would have been excited to hear the details. doesn't mean they would have automatically believed the message because there had been a lot of pretenders to that messianic throne, a lot of phony messiahs, fakes and false teachers, con artists out to make a buck. And so people would have listened. They might not have believed, but they would have been fascinated to listen to the message of God's coming. People today are not all that eager. For a lot of reasons, the emphasis on diversity, the lack of a common faith, the deterioration of our Judeo-Christian heritage as a nation, socioeconomic changes, lots of things. But what it boils down to is something that I mentioned in the first message of this series about the journey to believing. I said that in past generations, people first asked the question, is it true? Is it true? But in our generation, that's not the question people ask first. What they ask first, consciously or unconsciously, is this. Is it real? Is it real? 
our current world isn't that concerned about truth, but they are very concerned about authenticity. And they're not just asking, is your message real? But are you real? Are you authentic? It's personal. Are you credible when you share something with me? In other words, and this is very important, you have to be believed before you're heard. You have to be believed before you're heard. If people don't see you as authentic, if they don't see you as a credible source, then they're not going to buy whatever it is that you're selling, whether it's talking about your faith or anything else. They're not going to have any, believe anything that you have to say about anything, much less faith in God. You have to be believed before you are heard. And when it comes to sharing and proclaiming this gospel message, we face two formidable obstacles to even get to that point with people. The first is the larger Christian church doesn't speak with one voice on the most essential issue of faith, that being the nature of or the person of Christ. The historic Christian message has been terribly eroded and kind of drained of its power in far too many corners of the church. Within the church, there are Christian leaders who have kind of caved into the secular pressure, who have intellectualized their faith to the point where it no longer bears any resemblance to the historic biblical faith in Christ. And consequently, they've kind of developed a spiritual laryngitis. They've gone silent about the uniqueness of the Savior. They've lost their voice when it comes to clearly proclaiming the good news of His birth. We have a lot of people in leadership positions and denominations and as pastors who, who claim to be Christian, but what they actually believe bears no resemblance to the historic Christianity. They've lost their sense of the majesty of Christ, the wonder of this Christ child, the King of kings and, and Lord of lords, who according to Colossians 1.18 should have the first place in everything. They're really universalists who believe in basically every path to God but they don't have the courage to actually admit openly what they really believe. And the main reason is they need a job. They need a job. And it's really hard to find a job in the Universalist Church. They're one of the only groups that's shrinking faster than the Episcopal Church or the United Church of Christ. And so they have no good news message to share, just some generic kind of give peace a chance left over from the 1960s. And no one is drawn to God through that kind of message. So people who say, you know, who needs it? And unfortunately, under the cover of historic Christian denominations like ours, these pastors, they spread their anemic gospel and generally lead their congregations closer to closing. When you add to that the charlatans, the hucksters, the televangelists, and the nasty church fights that have scandalized conservative Christianity, it's no wonder people are kind of confused and tentative and reluctant to, to jump in. But there's a second big obstacle to proclaiming the message of Jesus in our day. Something that has really, I think, poisoned the water, poisoned the atmosphere, uh, and it's done great damage to the believability of the whole church. And that's the scandal of, of pedophile priests in the Roman Catholic Church. Not so much the vile things that the priests did. Not so much that, but the way the church hierarchy apparently consistently covered up for them. Not just one time, but but many times over many years and all over the world. No one on the outside can understand this, least of all me. 
why the hierarchy of the Roman church you know, put protecting this closed fraternity of priests ahead of protecting the children of their parishes. Nobody on the outside can understand that at all. And the scandal has severely, maybe irreparably damaged the moral credibility of the Roman church. And people think, you know, if you won't protect the children, then you've got nothing to say to me, period, right? I mean, they've lost their credibility. And if you have to be believed in order to be heard, so when the church lists, uh, speaks, no one's listening. And unfortunately, all of Christianity then gets painted with the same brush. All Christians get painted with the same brush because people don't distinguish. People don't differentiate. They don't know the difference between a Presbyterian and a Pentecostal or a Catholic or a Baptist. It all gets lumped into one big pile. And so people today are skeptical of anything and anyone who wants to talk with them about faith and Christ. So what do we do if we want to proclaim the Christmas message of Christ's coming, of of God's redeeming love? Well, first of all, this good news has to become very personal for you. It's got to be good news in your life. Think about what happened that first Christmas. The angels told the shepherds the big news, told them to go to Bethlehem to check it out. They went. They saw it for themselves. They got excited about what they saw and what they experienced. And then they went on their way and they told somebody. That's the journey to proclaiming. That's it in a nutshell. That's telling the good news of Christ. That's witnessing to the joy, the joy of telling others what you've experienced. The good news becomes great joy when it becomes personal when it becomes something that's happening in your life. Psalm 107, verse 2 says, All of you set free by God, tell the good news. If it has happened to you, then it can happen through you to others. But first, God's good news has got to get a grip on your heart so that you have something to share. It has to happen to you in order to happen through you. Do you know the good news of Jesus in your heart today. That Jesus has forgiven all the wrongs you've ever done. That you have hope in this world and all the way into eternity. A hope that puts into perspective whatever else may be happening in your life right now. That you can live in relationship with God right now. That you can know your purpose. That you can experience His power. That you can talk to Him and find guidance from Him through prayer and through His Word that you can get direction for daily life, that you can experience a daily awareness of His presence, that you're part of God's forever family. Starting right now, that is good news for you, and that's good news worth sharing. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to His followers, Go everywhere, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone because people still need to hear the good news today. But they've got to hear it from somebody like you, somebody like you, somebody who's real, somebody who's a little nervous to talk about it, who's a little tentative because, you know, you don't have all the answers. But you know that Jesus is real and he's made a real difference in your life and that is all that counts. So all you do is simply share your story, your life. And that's what people will be willing to hear. Not some prepackaged you know, witnessing formula, not tracks handed out on a street corner, not billboards or hit-and-run evangelists, not even deep theological debates or pious know-it-alls, but your real story. 
And it doesn't have to be dramatic. You don't have to turn from being a burned-out drug addict to being some, you know, model citizen. It's just your story with all its ups and downs, with your sense of God's presence in your life. They need to hear it from real people who are in the trenches like they are, trying to make it, trying to get by, trying to keep it all together, but with God's help. Folks, the message of God's love in Christ, it is good news. It is good news for the friend who's sick. It's good news for that neighbor who's heartbroken. It's good news for the family cynic that you're going to see this week. It's good news for the lonely person in the lunchroom. It's good news for those who are just weary of life. It's good news for the wealthy who are consumed by success. It's good news for the poor you see on the street. It's good news for the addict who sits next door or who's sitting next to you this morning. It's good news for the distracted and the the overwhelmed and the frightened. It is good news for everyone. So be ready to share your story. Now, you might not believe this, but it's harder for me to share my faith with someone than it is for you to do so. Because as soon as someone finds out I'm a pastor, shields up, the phony smile comes on, all the religious platitudes start pouring out and they move away as quickly as possible. They think, well, he's got to talk that way. He's a pastor after all. You know, so it's a little bit harder. Well, let me tell you what works for me as a starting point in faith-sharing conversations. The easiest way for me is to start sharing with someone has to do with a missions experience because that's where you put your faith into some kind of tangible action. For example, this week I was getting a ride from the courtesy driver at a car dealership. And, you know, we're riding in the car. We've got about 15 minutes together. So you have to find some common ground with people. So I asked him a few questions about his work at the dealership, how long he'd been there, what does he like about it. And he had a very kind of thick Spanish accent. And I just said, you know, well, what's your uh, home country? He said, Ecuador. And I said, oh, you know, I haven't been there. I haven't seen much of South America, but what I have seen, I like. In fact, I was in Bolivia just a couple of weeks ago in Cochabamba. He says, oh, I have a cousin in Cochabamba. And then he asked, were you there on business or were you there on a vacation? I said, well, kind of both. I was there visiting, you know, these beautiful children in an orphanage that's supported by my church. It's such a great place, you know, these kids who get abandoned. And coming from a country like that, he knows the situation. They have a pretty rough down there. And they come to our orphanage and they're in pretty bad shape. And it's good to see how they grow and blossom when they're surrounded by God's love. Just that simple. And he asked some more questions. And I talked a little bit more about the difference that I saw Jesus making in the lives of those children. And so you see how it begins to work. He asked the questions. He opened the door. He asked the questions because he sensed something in me that he felt was credible. And so he was willing to listen. You must be believed before you're heard. And one of the great byproducts of missions involvement is that it creates credibility for us today. Just imagine the conversation in the office on Monday morning. Someone asks, hey, what would you do this weekend? And you say, well, I went with this crazy kitchen on a bus that drives into New York City and feeds homeless people in some of the toughest neighborhoods. Yeah, it was something sponsored by my church. Or I made some new friends with a homeless young mother and her two small children who are sleeping in our church this week. Or if next September somebody asked you, what would you do over the summer? And you said, well, I took my family to Mexico and we slept in tents in the desert with a group of people from my church and we built houses for this wonderful Mexican family 
who'd never had a decent roof over their heads. You see how that begins to open doors? Because then you can say, you know, and I never felt closer to God than when I was doing that. It has impact with people. People are, don't want to hear all the stuff unless you take them by surprise just a little bit. It opens doors. It gives people a sense of your credibility that your faith is actually doing something. Even to say something like, you know what, our church just raised enough money so that 4,000 kids in Africa can have mosquito nets and sleep in safety at night. Now, you don't share these kinds of stories to get credit from other people, but to build credibility. And there's a big difference there. And it all comes from your attitude in how you share. But that's what helps me get started in this journey to proclaiming credibility, putting your faith to work in a tangible way. The journey to proclaiming isn't easy, whether it's with your family, your friends, your co-workers, other students. There will be obstacles. If you've been trying to share your faith with someone and it hasn't been going well, remember it's your credibility that really counts. You have to be believed before you are heard. But be ready to give the good news to someone this week. Pray about it. I think God will lead you to someone who maybe is without hope, someone who is struggling, someone who is skeptical, someone who's been hurt in the past. And God wants you to let them know that the bad news that they're facing is not the only news that's out there. There is good news, good news of the love of God in Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus because it overwhelms all the bad news of this world. And so like the shepherds, with joy, let's proclaim all that Christ has done and all that Christ is to a world that still needs to know God's good news. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can get excited about who you are. Not just about the presence and the family gatherings, but just really to celebrate you. Your life, your death, your resurrection, your presence right now. That's what we're really celebrating. It's not just some ancient historic event. We celebrate your presence alive in us right now. Your story still being written in our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to share that story with others. And just to say, this is what God is doing in my life. And it makes all the difference. Thank you, Lord, that you give us this privilege. Give us the courage this week. Give us the creativity. Give us the credibility to proclaim. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.